You're listening to The Itch, Rock Matters. My name is Casey. My name is Dan. And I'm Aaron. And today, we have the honor and pleasure of bringing you our interview with Arya, the drummer of Skinned Red. This is a really big deal for us to secure this interview and get to speak with Arya. And so we're excited about it. And you can definitely tell that in the recording that we're excited to be there. Yes. And, you know, one of the things that uh, we... When we started the podcast, we we had talked about basically interviewing people um, and trying to kind of build those relationships. And one of the first bands that came to mind when we thought about that was definitely Skin Dread. And the management of Skin Dread has been kind enough to work with us and, and not only help us with the intro and outro song for our podcast, they also hooked us up with this interview. And and we couldn't have, we couldn't be thank- more thankful for that. Yeah, this Arya's drum beats that you're hearing in that intro music. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, we can go on and on about how important this interview was to us, but it was just incredible that we really only planned to talk with him for about 40 minutes, and we talked with him for an hour and 40 minutes. He was incredibly <laughs> gracious with his time. Yeah, and he's really down to earth and one of the things that was so cool about it is after we kind of settled in as interviewees, it really just became a lot of fun. We were just having a good conversation with them and just getting to know more about not only the band Skin Dread, but just about the whole industry and, and touring and things like that. And the, just being it, for the for one hour and 40 minutes, I got to be like inside the mind of a rock star and th- live vicariously through him for that hour. <laughs> Yeah. And he was just a pleasure to talk to. I mean, it, it, it was like we talked to him before and we <laughs> we never met him before. It's for a little bit of background for anybody who's not familiar. And we'll explain a little bit why in the interview itself, why Skin Dread means a lot to the itch. But they're a band from the UK and their their style mixes a lot of genres. I think the simplest way to describe them would be reggae metal which is a fantastic combination just right there. And that only scratches the surface of what they really do. And so in many ways, this, that band exemplifies the combination of genres and that meshing of styles that we play on the radio show and that we, the kind of bands that we want to discuss on this podcast. And I, I don't know. I don't know about you guys. I was fascinated by the stories without giving much away of the differences between the UK and the US yep. in terms of what it yeah. takes to you know secure radio play and a tour and the audiences and all of that I just found that fascinating. Yeah, I definitely agree that I mean everything with uh just the learning the differences and and you know what what I thought was awesome was you know this is somebody that we've been playing on our radio show for 16 years and it was just like, you know, I've been saying this a lot, but it is just a surreal moment to be sitting there talking with him and then having him be like, oh, so we're, we're kind of like family and we grew up together <laughs> like like that, that part. And, you know, you, you won't be able to see it when you're you know listening to it, obviously, but like you could just see all of our faces light up at that time. And we just are, are, are so like it was just such an awesome moment to be in where, you know, like somebody that you have admired for so long, 
gives you a mutual respect or like a just you know says that subtle thing that just makes you feel appreciated for you know for what we've been doing and and, and all that hard work and and all the uh just everything all the effort that we put in is it felt at that moment was rewarded in my opinion yeah, yeah. we're not we're not particularly the kind of guys who are starstruck by stuff but you will have to forgive us a little bit on this one for geeking out a little bit. <laughs> it, it, it happens a little bit. By and large, we manage to keep our cool, which is, which, I mean, you, you got to do when you're talking to somebody that's that cool, but you know. And the fact that we've talked about it for so long that we're going to split it up into two parts. Yeah. And I encourage you, whether you're familiar with skin dreads music per se or not. Well, first of all, if you're not, I want to encourage you to pause right now. Go listen to their newest album, Big Tangs, or any album. It doesn't really matter. You'll get the idea. And uh, I just I think there's something for everyone in this discussion because he just he touches on so many different elements on what it's like to be uh, in a rock band in the uptimes and the downtimes in the quarantine and how that just wreaks havoc on the plans of musicians and how that's been for the past six, eight months. So there's definitely something for everyone. And and again, whether you're familiar with the band's music or not, I think he is an, a very engaging conversation. Agreed. So without further ado, here's our interview with Arya of Skin Dread. Hello. Hi. Hello. Hey. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. I'm Arya. <laughs> <laughs> my, name, my name is Dan. Hi, Dan. I'm Casey. Hi, Casey. I'm Aaron. Hi, Aaron. You're right. Hey, we are happy to speak with you today. Uh, <laughs> I just realized no one told me that this was, uh, are you U.S. or Canada? Sorry. Yeah, U.S. US. In the Midwest yeah. U.S. So when I said 11, um, 11 a.m. my time, <laughs> it sort of made sense. Yeah, we were like, man, we'll do it if he needs to, but that's like 5 a.m. So yeah, it's no, like... <laughs> Where are you going first? We're in St. Louis. Oh, wicked. Yeah. Wicked. Yeah. That's um, the pageant. The pageant? Yes. Oh, yeah. I'm glad you, yes. you that's that's great. <laughs> <laughs> so you're already getting into some of the stuff we wanted to we wanted to talk about. So that's fantastic. Hey, before we go uh, any further, do you know how much time you have for us today? How much do you need? <laughs> <laughs> we weren't going to keep you longer than than maybe 30 minutes. But yeah. Let's just go. I've got at least 30 minutes. At least right. 30. All right. Well, wow. <laughs> then we'll go until, you know, it seems like a natural wrapping point, I guess, then. <laughs> just do it. I'll be honest. I've, done, I've, I've got nothing to do. Oh. <laughs> awesome. I mean, I, I, haven't, I haven't played a gig since November, so I've, I've, I'm all yours. <laughs> we were wondering about that because, well, not not about that, but um, that was one of the things we, were, we thought was particularly gracious of you because we were talking to... Uh, Callum and he was like yeah he's going going on on holiday but then he was like basically he's ready to go like the day he gets back like (laughs) it was more and he didn't say that explicitly but that seemed to be how the calendar lined up I was like man what a nice guy he's like I'm ready to roll like so (laughs) well whatever I can do to help dudes Uh, (laughs) thank you it's a pleasure you want to speak to me so I'm very happy we were talking uh, before you're on here about how like it seems like in my observation anyway, more often than not, in terms of talking with people, the person who gets kind of the most love is usually your singer, maybe your guitarist. Oftentimes, if you want to talk to a drummer, you're going to be talking about drums. Like they want to know about your kit and all that. (laughs) (laughs) And we're like, hey, 
these guys are worth more than just the drums. Like, let's let's see what they want to what they think about other stuff too. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm, you know what, whatever you guys want to talk about, I'm happy to talk about. That's awesome. If it was awesome. drums, I'd be happy to talk about drums. But... <laughs> we got a little bit in there. Don't, yeah, don't. We definitely got some in there. <laughs> but yeah, but we we you know can't thank you enough for uh, taking some time out of your open schedule apparently <laughs> to meet with us. <laughs> we appreciate it a lot. And so we should start with a little bit, if you don't mind us giving you a story to kind of for context of why we're even here. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, so we are a radio show turned podcast we started a show 16 years ago and in college we're all radio majors and whatnot and we graduated ended up going into different fields but basically kept that show going like as a hobby the whole time until the pandemic hit and the school closed down for the last six months (laughs) at which point we're like all right we still want to talk about music uh so i guess it's time to finally start that podcast that's fine (laughs) so we transitioned over into that kind of realm of of uh media and we started, did a few episodes on our own and then started trying to book guests. And we were super excited. We we're like, we need to talk to Skindred right off the bat as soon as we can. Because pretty much ever since this show started, the radio show started, we've, we've declared Skindred to be the Itch's official favorite band. No way. I'm, I'm glad you remember us. You know what I mean? <laughs> we haven't played in the US for so long, so I'm glad you remember us. And I'm glad- <laughs> That's one of the things that we were wondering about. Obviously, there's reasons nobody's touring right now. But, you know, even before that, Dan was mentioning before, he's like, man, it's been, I'm not sure how many years since I've, since I've been able to see them. Because it seemed, I don't know, maybe every like five years or so that you guys get to the US. Oh, yeah. I mean, there was a point in time when, you couldn't move for us in the US. I mean, we, we spent so much time there and we actually, was, the whole story of Skindred is when we started, we were dropped in the UK by our record label and an American label picked us up and domestically signed us, which is quite rare for a UK act mm-hmm. to be domestically signed by a US label. And so we came over to the US. Everyone assumed we were US at that point before they obviously reopened our mouths. And you know, <laughs> we worked so hard and was for so long in, in America and meeting people like yourselves and going to radio stations. It's a very different culture, radio style in the US how it is over here. And so it was our baptism by fire, I guess, getting signed in the US and then doing the whole radio thing over there. I mean, the UK is sort of catching up, but I mean, it's, it's very different, very different. But. Can you explain a, a little bit more on, on how it's different? Well, I guess, like in everything in America, it's just bigger. <laughs> it's just more, isn't there? And so when you, go, when you come into the UK, you have a handful of major radio stations. You have regional ones around. Right. But I can travel from... My parents live in the southwest of England, uh, right, pretty much right at the bottom. Not quite, but like two hours from the bottom. And my wife's parents live in Scotland. I can do that drive in six hours. Okay. Right. Gotcha. I'm not getting through Texas in six hours. <laughs> <laughs> That's accurate. Yeah. yeah. So my point is, I guess, in the US, you'd have multiple major radio stations in each state, each city, and they were all as important as each other. In the UK, you would have, like I said, the five majors and then the specialist radio stations that are now coming up there's lots more internet radio there's Mm -hmm. loads more 
how I guess I guess like pirate radio stations started out. People are being able with the technology to do their own radio shows, podcasts, all that kind of stuff, and you can reach people. Back when we came to the US, it was drive to the radio station, meet everyone, go on air live, and we did the man cow show. I remember that was a particularly <laughs> cool thing we did, and we did it with Mr. T when we were the morning guests, and you know. We've been up for days because we've been traveling through in the middle of a tour, get there, meet Mr. T. Then we're playing live on the radio at nine o'clock in the morning or whenever it was. And then Flavor Flav. I mean, this sounds ridiculous, the one I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't said this like story for years, so it's like pretty cool. But so we get there and do all this stuff. And then, you know, on to the next one. In the UK, you would do your radio tour, which would probably be a day or two. Mm. You know, so I think it's just the, the breadth of the country and how many different stations you guys do have. You know, I mean, nobody first started. I remember we were on a tour with Seven Dust. We had no idea what the radio chat was. We didn't know. We were just like, I remember some of the guys from Seven Dust came on our bus and were like, you know, you guys have gotten the top 40 of Active Rock. And we were like, cool. <laughs> <laughs> Two months later, we're still on tour with them. And it's like, they came in, you're like, you're top 10. I'm like, still? Like, that is going on. <laughs> <laughs> keep you guys around for a while. <laughs> that's it. That's, that's, that song hung around in the radio charts for like four or five months, I think. Which is crazy. So, in the UK, in and out, done. <laughs> uh, we actually have a funny story regarding that. <laughs> oh, okay. So... Back in 2004, and the, the timing just kind of worked out. One of the reasons why you guys became our favorite rock band uh, for the itch, the radio show, is because I went to see you. Well, I actually went to see Seven Dust. I, I will admit, I went to Seven Dust on a tour with Nonpoint, and you guys were were the opener. And like, I had no idea who you were. I, I remember when the show started, I was way at the back and like wasn't really paying attention. Me and my friends were kind of just hanging out. But as you guys continue to play your set, we, we became more and more engaged with every single song. And by the end of the show, or by the end of your guys' set list, I was up in the front, like, right, like, cheering for you guys right in the front. Uh, right. And it was just, it was so amazing. Like, I had to, I had to find out more. And then, like, the next day, my, my buddy Casey. Yeah, the next, the next day. So we just started our radio show in February of that year. Oh, wow. So we've grown up together then. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes, we have. <laughs> exactly. So the next day, uh, the music director handed us or handed me a CD because we just started our show. And they said, you know, this sounds like something that you guys could play because we played uh, the college radio show itself played a completely different genre of music than we play. We we started a, a rock show. So we just started and I listened to it, listened to Nobody. We just had the single and I was like, oh, man, this is incredible. I, I need to show this to Dan. And he's like, I just saw these guys yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And and the whole the whole radio show was played from our own collection of music. Like we weren't we didn't have uh, access to like the, these vast uh, CDs or, or online music or anything. We literally played everything from our own CD collection. And to to get that single at the time we got it, it just kind of sealed the deal for us. And we became huge fans and continued to get, you know, follow your music as you guys went along in your career. Oh, thanks dude. I mean, I, I love the fact that we've grown up together. I think <laughs> you saw us early on and when we're talking now, what, uh, I don't even, I can't even do the math. 16, 16, 16 years, yeah. years later. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's exactly how it was. Cause it was like, like nobody was one of the first 
rock singles that we were actually like given by the radio station. So it kind of felt special. Like, and it was probably right at the time, like you're saying, you guys were on that tour and just starting to blow up. So we were like, are we one of the first guys around to play this? And if we, we're not sure we couldn't measure that statistically, but let's, let's go. With it. Let's go. With it. That's you the were... narrative we're creating here. And so yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, per we're pretty sure we were the first in St. Louis at least. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. St. Louis has a big rock station or multiple ones now. But I, yeah, I didn't recall hearing it there before, before we started playing it. So we were really excited. It's, it felt like there was this like, like camaraderie and like ownership, like, I guess if you put it with the band. <laughs> I know what you mean. Of like, these are our guys. Like we're going to, we're going to help them out a little bit if we can in some way. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much. Cause I know you did. And like St. Louis was always a great place for us to play. Yeah. I was probably there every time you guys played, to be honest too. <laughs> I was right in front. And <laughs> you, right? called the creepy crawl yep. yeah that yeah. was the one i was right in front of rest it's in peace cool. creepy crawl. Cool, right oh is it not there anymore it, it was no, tiny yeah it was tiny but it was really people loved that place yeah uh it it had probably a, i don't even know how many years ago shut down they tried to revive it with a second creepy crawl and it kind of bombed entirely but uh <laughs> there's a lot of good memories of that place yeah i love that place it was great i remember that we played there um, on our way to meet Papa Roach on the tour. Mm. We started in Florida, and we drove all the way from Florida to start. I mean, I can at the time, I was like, who did this routing? It's ridiculous. <laughs> we had to fly to Florida to start a tour that, with Papa Roach in Seattle. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, so we're going to do a few shows along the way. And I remember St. Louis was one of the, uh, one of the ones on that run to meet Papa Roach. That's great. I actually have your set list from that show. Do you really? Yeah, I do. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a, a pa packed away in a box because I just recently moved. But yeah, it's it's somewhere. I've had that in the poster from the show as well. That's cool. You know, that kind of reminds or brings us to our, our one of our points. So, you know, one of your one of your interviews that I researched, you, you describe touring as a continuous bachelor party and enjoying your friends and your, and your music. Has this been the longest you've gone without that kind of feeling or without touring? Yeah, I mean, totally. It, it's weird. I, I mean, I started touring since when I was 16. So it's quite, I mean, I haven't been playing drums either, which is, you know, I, I live in London, in the, in the center of London. So I don't, and with Skindred, we were playing so much all the time, regularly going to rehearse and we rehearse in, different, in a different city. So mm. I, I never had drums at my house because oh, wow. it was like, I'd get off tour. The last thing I wanted to do was play the drums because in two weeks time, we're going to go back. And I never had that yearning to play because it wasn't something that, I don't know, I wasn't, it wasn't affecting me in that way. And so now I'm like, okay, what's going on? What's going on? These guys want to talk to me on the podcast. When do you want to talk to me on the podcast? I'm ready whenever you want. <laughs> <laughs> so how, how are you coping with that without having that? Um, it's weird because, uh, I think not seeing everyone socially, because we do live in, I mean, I haven't seen the rest of the band since, uh, March. Oh, wow. That's, that we haven't seen cool. each other since March. That's the yeah. same with Dan, Dan and I. Yeah. We haven't yeah. seen each other since we did the last radio show on March 8th. <laughs> and you guys live within a couple miles of each other. So yeah. <laughs> Walking distance actually. Yeah. <laughs> no. it's, it's, it's exactly the same thing, man. Like we were, we were writing for a new record, which we're doing now but we're doing it remotely, but we were writing in Bristol. I don't know if you, I don't know if you're aware of like geography in the UK, but Bristol's sort of south-ish, 
you know, if you look at if London's here, you go along there and there's Bristol. So okay, gotcha. Not too far. It's like two and a half hours away, so it's not really a big deal. But <laughs> social thing, I think I've missed a lot. Yeah, because uh, as well as the band, it's more the crew I miss. I know that sounds weird. Hmm. The crew are the people that I'd always hang out with more on the yeah. tour. You know, because I mean band we've been together so long we sort of were sick of the sight of each other but when the <laughs> you want to hang out with the crew you know, the, the crew is like that's where it's at and my, my <laughs> wife always teases me and we'll go to like a festival or something you know and i'll be talking to some usually an american dude <laughs> and they're, they're leave and she goes who's that and they go oh, that's paramore's guitar tech and she's like why are you always friends with the crew? <laughs> never introduced me to anyone from any band it's always the crew so i always like hanging out with the crew that's awesome that's, that's maybe a drummer thing. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> They're usually wearing, you know, free t-shirts like me. So. <laughs> like these are my people. I, I recognize them. <laughs> so yeah, I've really missed the crew. I have missed the band. I've, you know, it's weird. And, and I've been taking it very seriously over here. Some people haven't been taking it as seriously as others. I've sort of like, I've got um, elderly parents, so is my wife. So we're sort of dealing with it like that because we want to see them when we can and don't want to, jeopardize their safety so we're trying to pick and choose the uk i don't know has gone into another sort of i mean the us i don't know but it's, it seems all over the place over there with you guys with the rules and stuff it's similar yeah. over here they change them quite a lot and so yeah just keeping my head down keeping my head down dudes yeah that's kind of where we're at they exactly. you know we had the giant you know for i guess first wave whatever you want to call it and sort of like the spring and whatever and they started easing up on some of the guidelines a little bit and then they realized, you know, you eased up a little bit and some people just seem to ease up entirely. And then, so now we kind of got spikes going on again in, in a lot of places. And so they're like, okay, we're going to have to tighten it up again more. And so we have no idea what's going on either. That's why another reason why we wanted to even do the podcast. We're like, we have time to do this now. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? And so do artists. It's opportunities for, you know, to keep your name out there and to have conversations and stuff whenever you can't do the shows and stuff you want to be doing. Of course. I think, you know, I'm always been pretty into, you know, talking about my band if people want to listen, because it's a privilege. Sure. So if people are interested to talk about it, you know, I'm happy to be there. And I think the rest of my guys are like that too. So. So I, I, I just had a thought, cause you mentioned that you don't have drums in your house. And I had just seen the other day, I was trying to figure out like, what has Skin Dread been up to? And obviously not a ton, but not many people can be. But you guys had done earlier this year that stripped down version of Big Things, the video for that. Oh, yeah. And, and I'm like, I thought it was hilarious because I'm like, I'm like, you never actually see Arya in the whole video. That's because I did the video. And so oh, I, nice. I don't want to be seen in it. <laughs> I was like, the only time you see your face is whenever they, there's a couple shots of posters on the wall. Yeah, so I did all that because I was like, oh, I think... <laughs> I didn't have any drums. I was like, no one's going to want to see me for three and a half minutes going. <laughs> that was my, I was wondering, it's like, he's, he's clapping, he's got the, the kick pedal, and then, you know, like tapping on jars and stuff. I'm like, when you said you didn't have drums in your house, I'm like, I know this is a stripped down version, but now it makes even more sense. There you go. <laughs> so we're getting creative with what you have. Like, exactly. <laughs> Just, yeah, I couldn't bear editing it and looking at my face for like three and a half minutes, like, no, non-stop. The other guys, it's okay, but. That was a fun video. So thank you very much. That's why I'm at the back as a drummer. I don't like to be, you know. <laughs> Do you have other experience in that kind of thing? Like, is that the is that have you edited in like videos and things like that for the band before, or been involved in that side of stuff? Yeah, I did. Um, that's my jam. I helped with that video, which is oh, okay. um, 
cool, that was my idea, and I did that with the director. Um, I do I do like the little bits, little clips here and there, but I mean more for um, more for necessity. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like it's not. Yeah, you know, I enjoy doing it, but I'm, you know, I'm not good at it. I enjoy doing it, but it's you know <laughs> it's one, it's one step up for an Instagram video. That's the way I look at it. <laughs> and if I'm, I, I don't mind it, but if I look at the other, I mean Benji's never going to do it. <laughs> Right. <laughs> He'll do his own weird ones, but he won't, you know, I don't think he's, he could have the patience to do like a whole, you know, opus of three and a half minutes <laughs> <this> anyway. <laughs> I mean, the That's My Jam video is, is just a fantastic piece of work. I don't, I don't know if the cat concept is, is, is mostly your, your thing or if it's like a whole band effort, but the whole using that on the album cover and then it just seems that that shows up a lot. There was even a cat in that. Yeah, homemade I mean, video you guys were doing, you know, like a porcelain cat or something, statue. It was my idea, because I was just, sort of, it was funny, all my life I've been a dog person, <laughs> and then being in, like growing up with dogs and stuff, and then being in Skindred, it was like, I'm on tour so much, you know, my wife works, can't really have a dog, and so, you know, she's always had cats, and I was like, I didn't really like them, if I'm honest, and then it was <laughs> like, you know, if you're going to be in my life, you need to like the cat. And so I made friends with the cat, probably more than I did with my wife, you know, <laughs> when you get the attention of the cat. And now I'm obsessed with them. And I was like, wouldn't it be cool to have like a cat on the front cover? And then it sort of spiraled <laughs> out of control. You know what I mean? It's a, a humanoid cat that's dressed like Benji. That's what, that's what this album needs. <laughs> exactly. And I've got, I've got this kid who's a dancer to, you know, to do it. We look, looking around for a professional dancer and like the old man in the video do you remember that um, film Sleeping with the Enemy with Julia Roberts? Do you remember that? No one knows this film much. apart from me. Yeah, so yeah, in the, in the 90s, she was in this film. It's like a Hollywood film and it was about her and her psychopath husband. And that old man is the psychopath husband. Oh, <laughs> oh right. And I was really like starstruck. So, but whenever I tell the story to anyone else, they're like, yeah, I don't know that film. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what? It meant something to you. You got a good, you got a good uh, casting gig in there. Yeah. So, <laughs> so um, big things is actually one of our favorite Skindred albums. Oh, and I, I know that the first three opening tracks probably are like the, some of the poppiest songs that Skindred has done. I mean, they're really good. But uh, is there any particular reason why you kind of switched for the, that? Like, were you trying for like a more mainstream sound that album? I think we. I mean, I certainly was, you know, I, I know that that album, you know, some people, some guys in the band don't like it as much as others. Probably, you know, I mean, you don't have to like get behind everything you do. There are certain things we've done in the past where I'm like, eh, but I think from my end, it was definitely, and probably Mike's end, Mike the guitar player, it was like, well, let's try this. Because with Skindred, I've always thought you can have a, a go at everything if we do it under the umbrella of Benji's voice with the elements that make us different. So you could do a straight up hip hop song or a reggae tune or a drum and bass song or a straight up metal song. If you, when you start infusing them, they become skin dread. And I thought with that, it would be like writing a pop song is a lot harder than people actually think. They think, mm -hmm. oh, they've got poppy. It's really, really easy. I think it's the exact opposite, you see. I think writing a pop song is really, really hard. It's a craft, and that's why nowadays we've got about 20 writers contributing to one's pop song. Yeah, makes sense. I think it's something that we did, and it worked for me as an experiment. I, um, I think 
as you say, the first three numbers, maybe the album, if it had been spaced out, may have had more flow. I don't know. I'm, I'm just, it's interesting that you said the first three because in my, I've, I always like to stock load the first few tracks of a record. I've always yeah. liked that. And my favorite bands have always done that. So it's boom, straight in. And then you can relax into the album. But saying, yeah. but if the other songs on the rest of the album aren't as good or not, in keeping with the front end, that's where I think it gets a bit disparaging. And I think that's what some of the guys may have thought about the record. To me, I was like, I like the poppier side. And like, something like Machine, we've never done something like that before. Right. And that's, that's a straight up ACDC rock and roll tune. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was like, that's, that's all it is, that you don't have to like pepper it with any, anything else. It's a straight up rock and roll tune. And it's, you know, it's the Ramones, it's that kind of thing. And we hadn't done anything like that before. And I was excited about doing that. And something like Big, the actual song Big Things was really different for us because it was at a slower pace. And I think that's what, it's more exposing. When you do things at a slower pace and still try to be heavy and grooving, it's more exposing. Do you know what I mean by that? Mm, There's less going on. And so everything sticks out. So on Big Things, drum-wise, I'm just sitting there back i do nothing <laughs> but when i do something on the track it sounds thunderous because there's nothing else to compete with it it's like the riff or when the solo kicks in it was like right we have a guitar solo i don't want any bass in there anything else and so mikey's up there doing his thing with hardly any backing from the band and i'm like that's cool you know it was like yeah. we want to do i want to break free by queen nah, yeah <laughs> nice well, to be yeah. fair, we enjoyed we enjoyed the entire album. Yes, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah, and we enjoyed the the fact that you incorporated the cowbell into it uh, <laughs> more as well. <laughs> and so I, I saw one of the interviews you did, and I noticed that your cowbell says "eat shit." <laughs> Is there, a, is there a story behind that? <laughs> that's the most aggressive cowbell I've ever seen. Like it's, <laughs> yeah. um, I like decorating my drum kit or some of my crew I should say like decorating the drum kit I have a gong drum and every day the tour manager would print out like a target of like a famous person that they didn't necessarily like sometimes it'd be something (laughs) like I turn around the show and I hit this person I'd be like oh I feel bad now (laughs) beat shit it was um (laughs) it's just I think cowbells get a bad rap you know I think what was that um, Saturday Night Live sketch? Yep, yep. I think it's basically that, isn't it? It's like everyone's like, that's the cowbell. And it's like, eat shit. Cowbells are cool. <laughs> Actually, I think Casey said that before before we came on. So, one of you guys said something to that effect. Is like, was yeah. this like a statement that Christopher Walken or like, what's going on here with that? <laughs> well, no, like in Guns N' Roses. <laughs> We're joking, but yeah. Like Guns N' Roses, cowbell. That oh, yeah. just been really cool. And then it suddenly went weird. And then Vinnie Paul did it in Pantera with Drag the Wars. Sounds cool. And then it became like, cowbells are lame. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm bringing it back. That's right. Nice. be a woodblock on the next album. A woodblock? Yes, <laughs> yes please. We're, we're in for that. <laughs> the xylophone in there, woodblock, all kinds of things. Exactly. Yeah, creative with the percussion. That's actually interesting. Like, to me, and one of the things that I guess makes Big Things the album really really cool is the fact that this band has always been such a fusion of so many different styles eventually you get to a point where like i don't know how they keep finding new things to incorporate because there's already so much incorporated into 
like the yes. umbrella of what this band is and somehow you came up with more stuff that still sounded you know fresh and good and was done well and so it was just like oh, that's that's you. impressive what's that album seven i think was it seven yeah i mean it definitely gets harder <laughs> yeah i'm, I'm <laughs> sure <laughs> When we used to do interviews, like early on, it'd be like, oh yeah, we just go in a room and we just play and then that just happens. You know, mm -hmm. after like five albums, you're like, got to try and, try and change it up <laughs> and try and do some different stuff, you know, because you don't want to repeat yourself, I guess, do you? No, I don't think anyone wants to repeat themselves, you know? Yeah, right. Where do you guys see yourselves like going in relation to that? You've said that you're, you're kind of trying to work on new stuff as best you can. Yeah, I mean, I like the idea of being... It's true to what the skin dread. When you when you mentioned nobody in that first record, that was the, uh, the stamp on what the world portrayed skin dread to be. And there's been a growth and you know different different songs, different albums over the last 16, 17 years. I like to anything we do. I want it to have the skin dread lifeblood run through it. And so there has to be the elements of reggae, hip hop, punk, metal all that kind of stuff. As long as it's got that ethos in it, you know, those different genres, I think, I, you know, I think we'll all be happy. And going forward, I think it's just really about making each song a mini statement, you know, each song making it a mini statement, something that really counts. Not only music, more important lyrically, I think now uh, Benji can write some great lyrics and I think he's got the opportunity now with what I'm hearing him doing. You know, the world's in a bit of a fucked up place he's been saying it yeah. for quite he's been saying it for quite a while and i think now he's probably got the best platform to talk about that kind of stuff than he's ever had you know people i think people are probably more um more inclined to listen at the moment if he's mm. talking about something yeah. more serious i think there more be more um, more chances to affect people you know so try and make a positive change from people when they listen to the music i guess not to get deep anyway, but <laughs> That's a good point because, yeah, this year, 2020 has been, there's been a lot of unrest, especially in the U.S. and across the world regarding racial tension. Do you feel that your next album is going to be kind of revolving around that? And, you know, I know that Skindred has spoken out against racism in the past, but do you have an idea that that's kind of the direction that you're going to be going with this next album? I think under, there'll be undeniable songs that capture that. Yeah, I think it's hard. It's, it's too big to ignore. And I don't think a band in our position with, you know, we have a voice. People listen and come to our shows. Benji talks about it live. I think he hits, he's hinted upon it, like I say, on songs before. I think it would be irresponsible of us not to address that. Yeah, so I think we definitely, definitely be more stuff in that vein. Always on a positive spin, though, with us. I don't yeah. want, you know, otherwise I think it goes down a, a negative route. And I think our listeners don't need that. Our people who like, we don't need that. We want to make it a, a positive change or a positive outlook on stuff. Obviously him pointing out negative things that are happening, but trying to look for solutions and ways to progress, I think is the way forward. Spec lyrically, and I, you know, my favorite songs is when it's a juxtaposition. It's like you have happy, you have happy melodies and happy music with some really serious statements. I think that's really, really clever. You know, you don't have to be on minor chords and minor chord progressions to say some serious stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? And sometimes yeah. Matt goes into that territory where it's all like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, it doesn't have to be like that to say something serious. And, you know, bands like Rage, I guess, you know, they fly the flag for that. Those riffs are bouncy, uplifting. You take away the lyrics, you're going, hey. 
This right. is great. <laughs> you, listen to, you listen to the lyrics, it's like, wow, okay. You know? Yeah. That's, that's a great point. And obviously you can't speak to Benji's experience as a, as a black man in a, in a predominantly white rock world, but how would you speak of your own observation and experiences? Um, he's had it tough, man. He's had it tough. You know, he, he has, he's got thick skin. He doesn't that's let good. it go. You know, but I know it's affected him. I know it's obvious to see that. I remember one of the first times we came to the stage actually. One of the very first times we went to Atlanta. Me and him went out shopping. And he took me to this district. I mean, I can't remember it now. I was the only white guy there. Thousands of black people. And I was the only white guy there. And he goes, how's this? And, and in the UK, it's not so much, there's not as, as much division mm. like that. Right. In, the UK, in the US, yeah. like I said, everything's bigger, you know? He was like, how's that, making you, how are you making, how's that making you feel? I remember him saying that. I was like, I feel weird. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. Because I don't, I'm, not, I'm not used to it. And he just goes, that's how I feel every time we play a show. But I've grown, and you know, so that you know, it's not a little taster because like you could never compare. But it's it's interesting that he would say that to me, you know. Yeah, that yeah. was him showing that hey, that, that, that it is a predominantly white audience that we play for, you know. Mm-hmm. But then yeah. for him, it's spreading the message, isn't it? It's about being some coming from somewhere and being bigger than where you when you where you've ended up, regardless of your, your color, religion, or anything like that, you know. Yeah, we, we had an episode uh, recently where we honored black people in rock. And just to give you an idea, I got my Jimi Hendrix shirt on. <laughs> like, that's one thing I absolutely love about rock world, rock music is it's such a melting pot. There's so many great ideas coming from different cultures. Um, and it, it's just absolutely, I, I love the way that it blends it and just, you know, and it just makes everything awesome in my yeah. opinion. But <laughs> me, me too, dude. Me too. I mean, the thing is throughout the years, I think people go, oh, you know, predominantly it's all white but then you look at the pioneers like you're wearing a hendrix t-shirt yeah. and, and 10 minutes ago we're talking about a tour with lejean elias and benji yeah and no one's no one's going oh it's a black tour or it's, <laughs> you know it's not even spoken that's just a rock tour yeah you know it's, what i mean yeah, yeah incredible yeah, yeah. Exactly. which is it's, it's there if you want it it's there it's happening you know it's there's no need for it to be a segregated is there there's no need yeah i agree yep you're kind of i'm interested in this so it seems to me like a lot of times you'll find in in bands that you'll have one one person maybe two again usually like your singer maybe like your lead guitarist who are sort of like the creative lead i guess and the rest of the band sort of seems to follow in You, you kind of speak of benji as sort of this like force or entity like you know it's it's his personality and then it almost sounds like the rest of the band collaboratively maybe I'm, i don't want to put words in your mouth so you can explain that it seems like you guys collaboratively work together like uh on a pretty even keel with the rest of the band in terms of of what you create and how you create it 100 percent. i think um this period of time has been very different because people we haven't been able to collaborate but in the past it's been get in a room hash some riffs out, see what happens. And Benji will come in. I remember one of the songs years ago, he got dropped off outside the room and we're all playing just a riff, just jamming this riff. And suddenly the door blasts open and he runs <laughs> to the mic and he's like, you know, give going. <laughs> yeah, okay. You know, we were in this zone trying to get this riff or groove or beat or whatever. And he just ran in so excited because he's, he's gone right there, that's it. And, you know, and a song happened, you know. There you go. <laughs> the only way that could happen is 
by all of us being there in a room together. I think this, is, this has been very different this time because everyone's writing by themselves. And, you know, I think Dan and Benji have been doing a lot together of, you know, getting ideas together and then presenting them to myself and me and Mike. You know, they've been mm. working quite tightly together, which has been great, which that hasn't happened so much in the past, you know? It's been more of a collaborative thing. I mean, I'm sure that collaboration will, will eventually happen. Yeah. It's inevitable because when we all, when we do all get together, that's when we all fight and you know, hit each other and make up. But <laughs> that's what it has to happen. You have to. Everyone has to fight, you know, and like scream at each other. I mean, that's the only way it works with families, right? You know. Yeah, that's true. It's the only way. It works. Everyone's fights and screams and has a little moan, and then it sort of it all comes together. But creatively, everyone, you know, it's not a Skindred song until the four of us. Oh, sorry, to each one of out of the four of us have put something in. You know? That makes sense. Here's any songs that we've released that, you know, that have been like that, I think, you know. Something like that. Mikey wrote That's My Jam predominantly, actually. Hmm. Yeah, and he worked with Benji on the lyrics, but then had to come together to make it what it is. It's usually like an you know, embryonic idea. <laughs> becomes a lot bigger. So... Do you think, I guess, kind of what you're saying there, you know, we got to get in there and hash it out and maybe fight it out until you've got a product that all four of you agree on, like this is some solid stuff. That's a, that's 100%, yeah. That's 100%. You have to, you know, even if it's just a riff, right? A riff without the drums is just a guitar riff. Without, you know, a bass riff without the guitar, you know, it has to all come together. And I think we're not, we're not that band that has been writing full songs. It's not like band like Queen, for example, where Freddie would write the entire song and then they would work on it. Right. You know? That, I think, will probably happen on this occasion because we haven't been able to collaborate. But usually it's more like a rage where they're in a room and there's an energy. It's always yeah. been about the energy. And we have to be together to get that energy. And we're always chasing the live buzz as well because we oh, know yeah. we're a good live band. And so when you're writing together, you want to get that live feel and know how it's going to go down live. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's that's important. I think definitely for a band like us, yeah, where you know when we're playing, you want to see people dancing, rocking out, jumping up and down. Especially if you're writing a riffing song, but then there could be more of the hip hop ones, or you know something like we want, where people can be bouncing. You, know, you want those? <laughs> yeah, I mean the live performance definitely seems to be you guys' bread and butter. Like, I mean the album, studio albums are are great, but I mean this is a band that's legitimately won awards as like this is the best live band in the uk oh yeah congrats isn't that that's wild i'm sure but yeah it's so cool i don't think it's inaccurate so <laughs> well, thank you very much. i mean i can't speak to that many bands in the uk you could probably speak a lot better to that than i can but i'll go with what you think <laughs> <laughs> I, think I think you've got it right yeah <laughs> how do you think being together for so long and having the same members adds to the chemistry of skindred Oh, I think it's vital. Yeah, I think it's vital. I mean, we yeah been together what seems like forever, <laughs> you know. And, and I think um, you're you're more understanding of each other. You know, you know. I mean, you, like I say, you do have fights and you do have disagreements. But I think you take one of the ingredients out; it's not the same. I think you know. For a few years, we had one of my friends come into the band playing live as like a like a keyboard, electronics, and as much as we all loved him personally, you know, I, I live, you know, he's my housemate. I still talk to him every day. No, no bad blood or anything like that. Musically, he didn't fit 
in the pocket. Mm. His, own, his own words, he was like, he found it really difficult to con contribute because the four of us were talking a language he didn't understand. <laughs> it would take him 10 minutes to describe something I could say in literally a nod. Not even, <laughs> you know, those looks that you have when you're playing together, like the changes when it's time to change, the dynamics, all that kind of stuff that you get with being together for so long, finishing each other's sentences, you know, all that kind of stuff. That's a hard dynamic to walk into. And so for us, when he did leave, it sort of solidified the fact that we knew that, you know, us being together as the four of us was, you know, the right thing to do, not bring another guy back in to replace him. It was like, we only brought him in because we liked him. Do you know what I mean? It was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Our friend, he was my friend. It was like, this guy will fit with this person, you know, personally, that was not a problem. Musically, it was like, he couldn't compete. And I think that's the thing that while we're still together and had that same chemistry, it's like, you know, no one else will get that. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. When did you guys start to realize that Skindred was going to be something kind of special? You know, did the band, did everybody in the band kind of realize at the same time or I mean, just with the chemistry that you guys have and, and success, you know, when did you, when did that become a realization for you? I think every day you're uh, every day you can say, I can say, sorry, every day I can say that, Skindred is my main thing. It's the thing that, you know, drives me, you know, keeps a roof over there, you know, same on in front of my wife, but <laughs> I live in her house, so I'm not keeping a roof over <laughs> our head. So, <laughs> you know, yeah, so, so I'm just going to say keeping a roof over my head. It's not really. So, any kind of, yeah, Skindred's my main thing. I'm happy. I think you just. We've been we've been very very lucky and very privileged to be able to do this for so long, and still have a career out of it, and still have people wanting to see us. And I think that's the driver more than anything else. I think, you know, I've always enjoyed this arc of Skindred. Every album seems to get better, in my opinion. Every tour seems to get better. Everything is always on a rise, and I've always liked that. You know, and that's what keeps me personally going. I think you know. I don't want to be, I personally have always got the next thing to try and achieve with the band and try and get to. And I don't want to, I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd be like, if this band is still playing, you know, I think someone like Benji, he'll probably do, he would do Skindred until he couldn't walk or sing anymore. <laughs> he was playing in front of five people. I, I would rather leave it while it was on the top of the game. Yeah. Sense. Not something, I don't think we'd ever do that because I've always got the next thing. That's the motive. Do you <laughs> right. know what I mean? It's always, that, yeah. is to always make a better album, to work with someone better. You know, the, the list goes, goes on and on for me. You know, so that's the next thing I'll try and get to. And when you start, when the opportunities start coming down, it's like, well, you can't do this, you can't do that because people don't want to listen anymore. It'll be like, okay, well, it's coming to a natural conclusion. So that's not happening, by the way. <laughs> no, good. We hope not. Yeah, no, we would be disappointed. Not. It's interesting because, like, um, in terms of you know thinking about the next big thing and all that, I was looking at, at actually like the charts. I don't know, like I don't know if it's the record sales or whatnot. And you're talking about how it gets very different in the U.S. and the U.K. and and it kind of seems like in the U.S. you guys blew up a lot bigger earlier on, and then part probably because you haven't been here as often, maybe not quite as prominent here right now, but just looking at that it actually looks like you guys even at you know 18 plus years into your career seem to be actually on the upswing in terms of 
of like, I don't know, popularity and prestige in the UK. I think is kind of interesting. It's weird. We've had a total backwards career with the US. Yeah. Completely the opposite. So when we were in the US, we were doing things like Conan and the chat shows mm -hmm. and those kind of things. We couldn't get arrested in the UK or anywhere else. We'd come, <laughs> we'd come back to the UK and do the smallest rooms, you know, play 100, people, 100 cat rooms, do all that kind of stuff. No one was interested. And we would keep coming back to America to build this career. Mm -hmm. Then what happened with the second record, we were, you know, we were still, we were still out there, still touring. I think it was probably about the third record, actually. Yeah, it was the third record. We sort of changed management and changed labels. And that was the price. That's, it was as simple as that. It was, we were an American signed act and through whatever decisions happened, we had American management, the whole thing, mm -hmm. things happened. And then we had a, a UK manager and a UK deal. <laughs> so the focus was completely off the U US and back on the UK. So we did, and on the fourth record in the UK, I don't even know if it got released in America. <laughs> For <laughs> you're, real. You're talking about Union Black, right? Yeah. It did not. I, I actually had to import it. Yeah, we import, we imported it. Alright. We were really frustrated about that because that, that, I mean, Dan, you've mentioned a dozen times that that's actually your favorite. Yes, I absolutely love that album. We had to go out of the country to get this thing here. <laughs> that, that's the thing. And like, at the time, I think we were so like, right, okay, well, you follow the advice you get from your managers and your agents and all that kind of stuff. And we go, okay, well, when the time is right for us to go back to the US, we'll go back happily and the mm -hmm. fucking breaks just went on longer and longer and longer <laughs> and that's all that happened until the offers stopped coming and and it was harder and harder for us to come back that's all that happened and the rap people didn't want to put the record out because they'd expect us to pay to support it and we were like that's not how this works we can't do that yeah right and so it was completely backward it was so and it was so frustrating to us and like we had, we had a few tours that I think got cancelled or postponed. Like I remember we toured with Disturbed like three times in a year in the US. You know, they did this massive tour and they brought us out to do it. And we were getting offers to do that stuff, but the record labels at the time didn't want to support it. They were like, well, you're going to have to pay for it. And it's like, well, I don't know about you, guys, how much you know about that sort of stuff. You're doing an, an arena tour and you're getting 250 bucks a night and there's four of us. And yeah, we, have to pay, yeah. we have to pay for everything. It was like, yeah. just couldn't afford it. So it yeah, became yeah. literally, do you want to, you know, live and make, keep going with the band or do the States and come away with these massive def deficits? Because we did it and we lost all this money and we were like, I can't do it. And so that's the, the genuine, the sad story. And it's a, it's a shame because... Every time we release a record, we get excited that someone in the U.S. might hear it and want to sign us. <laughs> <laughs> it's mind-boggling to me that 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 hasn't happened. <laughs> like, like I, it's just it's, it's all about timing, I think, and it's so weird. Yeah, because we hit, we hit, this, we were in our stride, and we literally took our eye off the ball for what we felt was, you know, a split second, but ended up as being years. Hmm. That's all it was. And I remember, you know, my really good friends with the guys in Cedar. 
have been for years and they're always like you know do you want to tour with us and it's like yeah but you're gonna to have to give us loads of money <laughs> and <they're> like, <laughs> you know what i mean it's like stupid it's like we would do it in a heartbeat we don't mind playing first don't mind playing for 20 minutes whatever it is but we have to be able to make it work for us financially it's always come down to that you know i remember reading online so once we're, we're recently actually someone online was like I'm sure someone in Skindred is like has, has made like a crime in the US when they can't. Go on a- <laughs> and I was going, I mean, that would be easy to probably explain to people <laughs> if I went coming back and be like, yeah, we just can't. It's like it's not because we can't. You know, it's just it's just it's hard. And we can start telling people that for you if you want. No. We're like, yeah, they've been banned from the US. They were just too rowdy. And that's like- a cool rumor to start. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Couldn't handle it. It will make it. It will make you guys want us more. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> should have the effect. All those fights, Benji was starting in the pit. Right. I mean, <laughs> so is that still the case? I mean, I, I, I'm just saying. Obviously, you're not going to be touring anytime soon. But um, is that still the case? Where if you guys were to try to tour in the U.S., it would have to be funded by basically yourselves. Pretty much. I mean, at the moment, I mean, we did. We kept, last time we were over was 2016, and we did some of those. Um, like louder than life and th- those those kind of festivals yeah um and we did some other shows it was, it was really cool we i remember we ended the tour at the whiskey in la and it was sold out it was great it was so cool i mean it's all about for me if there's a, a proper way to i don't what i don't want to do is the album not to come out properly and then you do it half-arsed that do you know, you know half-arsed like sort of yeah. 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 You want it to be proper. So then you got, then the people that are coming to the shows get the real show. Like when we play over here, all these fucking lights, it's cool, it's massive, and it's like, yeah, you know, and you want to do that <laughs> properly. You want not onto that massive production, but like at a standard where, you know, people come away from the show going, wow, okay, I saw them 10 years ago and they've stepped up. That's, that's you want to feel like that, that you're progressing the band. I mean, if we got the chance to support again, we'd do that, you know. I think you just have to, a lot of the time the music will dictate where we go. And I think, Mm. unfortunately, on the last one, I think that's my jam did pretty well in the States. And like, once again, it was a label going, you know, we were trying to get our work visas (laughs) and they're a grand each, which isn't really much, but the record label didn't want to pay for them. And it's like, well, if you're telling me you don't want to pay for it, before I get on the plane, <laughs> then what are we going to do when we get there? It's like, I'm going to get there and go, okay, who's got the wheelbarrow? You know? <laughs> <laughs> around St. Louis trying to find the pageant, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll, we'll see. I, I think, you know, if someone believes in the band, things happen. That's the way it always goes. Always. You guys need to start a record label and bring us over. Yeah. <laughs> we, we would. <laughs> We've actually talked about if we, if we ever got to a point where we could at least be like a sponsor or something to like some type of music festival, we'd be like, oh yeah, yeah, Skindred would be it would be a, a top notch on 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 Itch Fest or whatever we <laughs> right. called it. And so, <laughs> it's a pleasure to confirm the deal. So I'll see you. Soon. No, awesome. Yeah, yeah. What's this business, business deal going on right now? It's a handshake deal virtually. Fantastic. That was part one of our interview with Arya from Skindred. I hope you enjoyed that as much as we did, but that's probably not possible.
<laughs> we enjoyed that so much that uh, we're going to come back with part two. Yes. And just in a couple of days, too, we wanted to get this out there as soon as possible. So that way you don't have to wait around to hear the rest of our interview with Aria. Yeah. So we're excited to share the rest of this conversation. And I don't know, I'm pretty excited about a couple of things he gets into. There's there's a few fun things. He's He's got a very surprising answer. Uh, when we asked him about what his dream tour mate band would be. <laughs> and um, and there's a, a great bit of conversation in part two about what we're going to call the Skin Dread Curse and how many things have been ruined by it, which is unfortunate. So let's hope that we can play a part in ending the Skin Dread Curse. <laughs> One of my favorite parts in the upcoming half of the interview is it was kind of one of my proudest dad moments. Um, I I got him to give a shout out to my son. And I'm not going to lie. I was super proud of that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to be holding that over my son's head for the rest of his life now. And just be like, oh, you remember that time I got that one guy to say hello to you? Yep. That's (laughs) how good of a dad I am. Yep. That's right. If only we can talk him into that live stream concert. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So stay tuned. We will be back very soon with the rest of this interview. And uh, we hope that you enjoy that one as much as uh, as we did. So thank you very much for listening. We really appreciate all the support and love and comments that we get. And you have been listening to The Itch Rock Matters. My name is Dan. I'm Casey. And I'm Aaron. And until next time, rock on. If you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, please subscribe and tell a friend about the show. We've got plenty of links in the show notes to continue the conversation, including the episode's playlist. And you can interact with us on Twitter, Facebook, or through Gmail, all at itchrocks, I-T-C-H-R-O-C-K-S.